things I am processing as I'm going through this cancer journey is um, my mission in life. And has my mission changed because of my cancer journey? What even is my mission? Um, is it the same? But also, I wonder how my childhood um, has shaped how I see my mission as an adult. So I thought it'd be fun to, to pose these questions to my drivers. And so today, Mike um, is driving with me and we talk about our mission in life, what we feel like we're, we're here to do, and maybe a, a bit about our childhood, the fun things about our childhood. Um, but at the end, Mike asked me a really great question. He's, he's so good at that. But he, he asked me, like, how do, what mental model do I use to kind of think about about cancer. So it's a, it's a really great podcast today. I'm really excited for you to listen in. So, um, yeah, here we go. Welcome to the Drive Candice to Radiation podcast. This is day 14 of radiation. And today there's a heck of a good looking guy sitting right next to me driving me to radiation. It's Mike Smith, everybody. Hello there. <laughs> there he is. He's wearing a tie today. He had fancy meetings to go to at work. Yes, I did. And I finally, I actually finally had somebody. Um, I have a very, a, a tie pin that, or not a tie pin, a tie clip that I absolutely love. It's Baymax. Um, it's the Baymax head from Big Hero 6. And I thought, how appropriate, because Baymax is a, you know, he's a, a, a first aid robot, and I work at a hospital, so that's totally appropriate. I finally, I've worn this thing, like, I don't know. 10, 15 times, and I finally had somebody pick up on it and be like, hey, how appropriate, Baymax, you know, tight clip. So oh, I was really they excited. Got, about they it. got it. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, I had to find that. Um, I, it shipped some place from, from China. It took a long time to get here. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it's rare, I would say, that somebody has a Baymax tie. I've yeah. not seen one before, so. <laughs> Yeah, but I like it too. He's so great. That's a great character. Okay, Mike Smith, since this is your second time on the podcast, we've got a different set of questions for you today. Right. So we're going to hearken back to ye days of old. When the olden days of yore. <laughs> yes. When, when thou were a child. <laughs> um, okay. Why don't you tell everybody where you grew up and then what's your favorite childhood memory? So, and actually where I grew up and my favorite childhood memory are closely tied together because, um, I mean, obviously, because that's where I grew up, right? But I grew up in Spokane and lived in two different general areas in Spokane. Um, later in life, we, we moved to the valley, but early in, the, in life, we were kind of... Uh, down farther to the to the west in Spokane, not quite downtownish, but um, we lived in this really cool neighborhood that had the it had a, a cul-de-sac, right? So um, the dead end road, and at the end of the road where the cul-de-sac is, there was like this trail that goes up off of the the road and up up into the hills. It's pretty pretty hilly area, and there were a lot of um, undeveloped lots and old, you know, construction and stuff from what was previously there. <clears throat> and so we used to love to go back up in there and, uh, and explore. So my, my parents had, um, friends that had motorcycles. And so one, there was this one day, uh, 
their their friends brought their motorcycles to our house and we got to go ride up in the hills uh, and I that was the first time I rode uh, rode a little XR50 and it was like it was the most amazing feeling I've ever felt in my entire life I was I don't know seven or eight or something like that and I took off on this little bike and I've never so, felt so much freedom so much just like uh, I don't know it was the best and it's you know kind of inspired my love for motorcycles since then right. but I, I'll never forget that first time I was on a motorcycle by myself I was the one controlling the throttle and the gears and just riding and having fun and um, it was I mean it was obviously life life changing from that moment felt free yeah I did yeah um how would you have described yourself how would you describe yourself as a child um I would probably describe myself you know I was always I was always kind of like the I was the nice kid I was kind of the kid next door you know I I spent a lot of time playing outside my favorite thing to do besides riding, riding motorcycles was ride my bike around the neighborhood and it was I mean we would go um there was a whole bunch of us in both neighborhoods I lived in that we would get on our bikes and just go riding, you know, for most of the day. We'd go travel downtown and we'd travel um, in, the, in, in and around the valley and, or go up to like Micah Peak and take bike rides up there. And uh, we would ride for miles. Like to picture you as like every 80s movie we watched as a child and any boy that was in that those 80 movies like riding their little bike oh, yeah. and having adventure that was that was completely you I'm, I'm entirely Elliot from E.T. I mean I, like there's no question I mean I, I have my cool little you know action figures at home and my science toys and all that sort of thing and um, yeah so I you know playing playing with cool toys inside playing games with my brother um, and then riding my bike or going out sledding. We were always, or shoveling snow or all that. We were always outside doing something. Yeah. So, Mike, did you watch a lot of TV when you were growing up? Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So, what problem or situation did TV or movies make you think would be common when you became an adult, but when you grew up, you found out it wasn't common at all? Well... That's an interesting question. And when you first asked me about that, I wasn't really quite sure how to respond to it. But I'll, I'll say, what, I, and this is more of a cultural change than, than probably what you're getting at, but it's an interesting cultural change that's happened since we were kids. Smoking, right? Like smoking was completely oh my gosh, yeah. 100% everywhere, every TV show had it happening. Yeah. I mean, we had family that smoked, and 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 again, not. I'm I'm not trying to like, you know, criminalize smoking or anything, but it was like our culture has so devoutly rejected it in public spaces now that you're like, well, I don't. <laughs> I'm not prepared for all of this, you know, non-smoky air, and I don't know. So I I think that was the situation that. Uh, Definitely, I expected would be different uh, in my adult life, uh, but it's the, yeah, we've we've changed as a society, and it's it's completely different now. I, I remember walking into, you know, you would go into a restaurant and there was like smoking and non-smoking. Yeah. And sometimes we were traveling with my grandparents, and so we would sit in the smoking section, and 
So that's a that's a thing, right? And people used to people used to smoke in hospitals where I work. Yeah. Like in the building that I work in currently, <laughs> people used to smoke in their rooms. Weird. That's and it's weird. so it's so just like culturally foreign now. We would never let that happen. Yeah. And so I think that's the that that's the thing that first came first came to mind when you were talking about that. Yeah, you know what I was thinking, and you're gonna love this line of thinking, Mike. Um, but there were a lot of things about space and space exploration when we were kids. Yes. Um, lots of shuttle things, right. Space Camp, the movie. I mean, right. like that kind of stuff. Right. Like you felt like we were gonna be more advanced when we became. Adults, I felt like that. I felt like it was going to just be more prominent in our society. And and then just the kind of, not the demise of NASA, but NASA was a really big thing when we were growing up. Yeah. And now it's all privatized, which I kind of like think that's okay. Yeah, that's good. We're, you know, I, I get that. But yeah, that's different than what I thought was going to be as a kid. When you, Especially when you grow up watching them launch the shuttle. Like yeah. it's iconic, right? Yeah. It's like this, it's like this mythical you know, thing that goes up in the air and you deliver payloads and you yeah. do spacewalks and you repair satellites and all these amazing people. You know, we really, really had a great pulse on the people and the crew that were part of the space shuttle flights. Yeah. And yeah, it's different now. I mean, we, we, um, like we sent William Shatner up and we knew who he was, <laughs> but we don't really know that a lot of the modern astronauts, or at least I don't, and they're not yeah. publicized in the same way. So yes, I would totally agree with yeah. you. I, I am kind of, I'm kind of disappointed in that area of modern life. Yeah, That's definitely right? an area I thought would be more advanced. Yeah, I think it's also, like, centered around the first moment of, like, where were you when this happened as a child? Like, it, it, there's a lot of those moments. But one of them was uh, Mrs. McAuliffe when she went up in the space shuttle. She was the teacher. I was homesick that day. And Dad was home at for lunch at work and he turned on the news and that's where we watched it and I'm down in our basement in our little 80s you know split level right. <laughs> like half of America and um, just yeah like cannot believe where were you yeah were you watching it at school when that happened well funny I mean again funny story I remember walking into um, it would have been Mrs. Woodworth's um, fourth grade class at Pratt Elementary and I for some reason that morning I was late and I remember watching it at home and I, it was pre-launch and so they were showing all the you know they were showing loading them all in um, everybody's getting in the shuttle and they're showing all the from the tower you know and all the gas that's venting down and um, it's, it looks super cool and so then I had to go to something and I was late for school for some reason I don't remember why and I remember walking in the door and everybody's just like like completely unhappy like their their faces were all just like super down and there were some girls crying and like the, I didn't and I walked in and I'm like and I'm like what's going on and they you know they're like the the challenger blew up and um and I'm like what do you mean? They haven't even launched it yet. They delayed... Because I remember they, like, delayed the launch or something like that. Yeah. And I'm like, they haven't even launched it yet. What do you mean it blew up? And then, the, you know, that's when the whole school was basically tuned in and watching uh, watching that as it kind of unfolded in front of the entire world. And yeah. uh, I just remember being just crushed uh, that that was... Yeah. And it was so... I think it, it was hard. You know, they talked about how there's a possibility that some of the... Um, 
some of the crew could have survived. Uh, but then when you watch the video, there's just like no way that could they have survived that kind of explosion. And right. Yeah, it was just really, it was, it was just crushing. Right. Um, all of these things were very formative, I think, in, oh, yeah. in our generation for oh. sure. Um, okay. Okay, Mike. When you were a kid, if you could have had anyone over for a play date to go ride bikes, who would it have been? <laughs> so, um, okay, so it probably would have been, and there's probably a better answer than this, but it's the one, I'm just going to go with the one that right just came right to my mind immediately. Um, and I've suddenly forgotten his name. But if you've ever seen the movie Rad... <laughs> The movie Rad is about um, a, a young man who is really excellent at riding bicycles but can't get the money together for a team label uh, to be in this crazy BMX ride, uh, race, right? And there's, I mean, it's got everything, really. It's got fantastic, fantastic music from the 80s. It's got BMX bike dancing. I mean, there's no really other uh, great example of BMX bike dancing uh, in the entire world than the movie Rad. Okay. So, um... So it would have been the star it, of the movie Rad. It would have been, and I cannot remember the name of his character okay. in the movie Rad, but it would have been him, because okay. he could have shown me some sweet moves <laughs> and uh, helped me, you know, I don't know, pick up the ladies as an 11-year-old. <laughs> um, so I, that, I think that would have been beneficial to the rest of my life, really. It, learning okay. BMX tricks... Uh, and bike dancing were they were pretty high on my list at that time in my life. Oh my gosh, you are a classic '80s boy. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> um, percent. What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, um, if I so if we go with the original plan, um, and then this will actually correlate with a, with a, an answer that comes later um, to one of your other questions. But uh, I mean. I was going to be a fighter pilot. I mean, that's, there's just right. no way. I mean, and literally I was going to fly an F-14, uh, later. I mean, I would also accept F, an F-16 or an <laughs> F-18. Those would be equally, I mean, the F-14 is basically a transformer. So, um, because the wings, you know, the wing sweep changes depending on how they're, if they're cruising at altitude or if they're actually dogfighting. Right. So there's a, um, yeah, that, I mean, that's the fighter pilot thing was pretty high on my list. I, I I remember a moment when I was like, you know what? It's probably you know it's probably not in the cards that I'm actually going to fly a a jet aircraft in combat. So like, what, what's a more realistic version of that? And so actually, the, the more realistic version of that that I, I just never really pursued it though was uh, flying one of the Coast Guard Dolphin uh, helicopters, okay. like one of the rescue helicopters. Okay. I always thought those are just like super sleek and fast and you're yeah. providing a good you know i mean you're you're working in service to yeah. your fellow human and the, yeah but the whole pilot thing was really but okay. i really wasn't i didn't feel like i wanted to be like an airline pilot okay but there were a lot of like cultural references there are a lot of tv oh shows around helicopters yes. and planes and this was it was a big deal that and the russians the russians oh, were yeah. gonna get us right Like we had Red Dawn back in there, and uh, the original Red Dawn, not the modern Red Dawn with um, with Hemsworth, um, but the old school Red Dawn. But if you go back, I mean, yeah, because if you think about what there was, there was Airwolf, there was Blue Thunder. um, uh, Blue Thunder was a cool, cool, cool show about it. I can't remember if it's an Apache or anyway, it doesn't matter. 
and then there was obviously Top Gun, um, uh, Flight of the Intruder, Flight of the Navigator. No, not Flight of the Navigator. That's a whole different. That's a whole different thread in my in my eighties uh, sure. cachet. Um, but yeah, there are so many of those like um, flight movies during those during that time. It was it was overwhelming. It was a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, was there someone you wanted to be just like when you got older, and what drew you to them? So. And I mean, again, so this is the answer that goes back to, I mean, obviously Tom Cruise, right? <laughs> Reckless, sometimes hot-headed, highly skilled fighter pilot, best of the best, you know, disturbing past that he works through to become an ace in the air. I mean, that's like, how can you, how can you beat that? Plays amazing beach volleyball. <laughs> I mean, what's... <laughs> What's not to like? Obviously, the guy's still got a, a career that still is continuing on in full force. Yeah, um, I feel like it's so. Mission Impossible 20. I don't know what's coming out, but <laughs> will Tom Cruise, I don't know, fall off out of a plane again? Probably. Probably. Okay, we're going to switch gears a little bit. Okay. Okay, so we just had your, ch- we talked about your childhood, and I want to talk about, like, you as an adult right now. Okay. And um, what do you think your mission in life is as an adult that's a great question, and and I'm going to say this in the most idyllic sense, and okay. not not in the sense that um, I'm completing that mission entirely, but I'm coming to learn more about what that what that is, and I uh, I kind of firmly am convinced now that my mission in life is to serve people around me in in whatever way in whatever capacity is appropriate for the moment, and so that could be I don't know. I mean, and that's something, you know, certainly you as my wife have pushed me and helped me participate in events that um, have kind of contributed to this thought, whether it's inviting people into our home for uh, periods of time, you know, we're like literally having them stay with us um, or helping people like move or whatever that is. Um, I feel like my mission in life is to serve people around me. And, and it's partly because... Um, I recognize that I am a privileged and, bre- and blessed man uh, in this world. And um, that's something, you know, we, like we, we pull out that P word, right, privilege, and we don't truly always engage with what that truly means. And I, you know, you've said this a number of times, and I kind of fought you originally at, uh, on, on how to understand this concept. But using my privilege on behalf of others around me uh, to, to, to make sure that there is equity and opportunity and equity and access um, that's really become much more important to me recently and so yeah, yeah I think that's um, and again that's that's in the most idyllic sense I don't always accomplish that I, I, and um, your next question actually I is so, yeah to that, right? let's ask it so um, how do you think your childhood shaped your mission so I am somebody um, that I don't and I don't know if it's my child if it's something about my childhood or just my personality or whatever but I don't have favorites like I don't often have well I have some favorites in like different areas but you know when somebody asks you like well what's your favorite whatever who's your favorite teacher you know like there's the security questions when you're trying to do your <laughs> multi-factor authentication for uh, you know a password setup right and there's like well what's your favorite uh, pet that you had and I'm like those always stump me because I'm always like um, 
I'm always like, well, I don't have a favorite because they're all like amazing um, in, in one sense or another. So I think where that shapes me though, is that um, I don't always, I mean, I'm selfish, I'll admit that up front, but I don't always focus on myself and my favorite things when it comes to trying to do something. It's, it's all, it's, so it's, it's somewhat like externally imposed selflessness. And again, I'm not, I don't want to say this in a way that makes you think that I'm like propping myself up here as this amazing selfless person. But I think there were elements of my life early on that, that led me, they were externally enforced selflessness. And some, in some ways that was due to, you know, some areas of neglect and that sort of thing. But those have caused me to not focus on my own like favorites and wants and desires and sometimes even have a struggle when I'm asked about that to to share about that and, and yeah. be have that be meaningful yeah. so yeah I've seen that for sure um what failures have you experienced in pursuit of this mission and what have you learned from those failures that is okay so that's actually the one I thought we were going to ask just moments ago but um the yeah this is really important pride pride is whenever I come to a moment of pride is when I lose focus of, of what I'm supposed to be doing to serve others around me. And that's not saying you can't have personal preference. That's not saying you can't like be excited about what you want to be excited about when it shifts though, and changes to pride and selfishness and self-focus that's the moment that I lose my opportunity to serve people because it's all about it now. Obviously it's all about me. And so, um, that pride has been the, probably the biggest, uh, it's what eats service, right? It like destroys service because when you are, I don't know, when you're just focused on yourself, that's when you, you just lose sight. Yeah. Well, you don't have the capability of really serving because even though you maybe even from the outside, maybe you're doing something that looks really good on the outside, but at the inside, you're doing it about yourself. That's still pride and self-focus. And it's not out of a place of, of love for others. Right. right? And it's challenging. That's not, I mean, that's something I think we all can relate to for sure. Um, so if you could, Oh, for a second, like that, no, but you just said something that's really important. And that's something we experienced in, in some different areas in life is, the love of others. That's the key. I mean, right. That's the love of others is what, it's not about pity for others. It's not about like, um, whatever it's, it's about truly being able to say, I love you as a person. I love you as an individual human being and, and nothing can change the fact that I love you as a human being first and foremost, therefore as a fellow human being, I desire to make sure that your life is as enjoyable as it can be, just like mine is, right? So yeah. that's yeah. You, you really, you really get it in there. Yeah, if it's if it's in us to make place, we will make place yes. as much as we can, right? Absolutely. Um, okay. If you could have coffee with anyone, living or dead, who inspires you right now as an adult, um, who would that be and why? So. Man, there are literally, there are literally so many people that I would put on that list. And I, I mean, I can think of, I mean, there, oh my gosh. 
Okay, how about you think of your top three? So you're going for a coffee date. You can, you can tell us your top three. So, and, wow. Okay, so, I may catch, may catch some flack for this one, but I'm just, I'm absolutely like dying with curiosity more than anything. I just really want to know like what's behind the veil, right? And, or and with this person. Um, so Elon Musk is a really intriguing person, just individual to me because he's just like, he said something. And again, I'm not trying to get into like who's right, who's wrong, whatever, but he's just an intriguing individual. Yeah. And I would love to just spend time with him actually at work. And I would like to see what it's like to work alongside Elon Musk. Um, so that's another, um, yeah. yeah. So another, um, well, oh man. Yeah. Okay. So there's two, two more that just immediately come to mind and they're both actors. Um, and just two men that I just respect for very different reasons. Um, even though they are, you know, in the entertainment industry and sometimes that's not, uh, the best industry to to really be an integrous person, but I feel like these people both have um, kind of held up their end of the bargain. Um, Will Smith, okay. right? Again, just, I'm totally curious, like, what is it like to spend a day in the life with Will Smith okay. and Denzel Washington? I, yeah. I listened to, um, he was talking about recently, um, there was a film that was directed by specifically a black director and the, the gal was asking him that was interviewing him he's like well do you think it's really that important that a black director directed this film and he oh my gosh his answer was brilliant because he's like it's not about color it's about culture and he like he talked about like uh, Schindler's List and I think it was Goodfellas right so Martin Scorsese um, I believe directed um, Goodfellas and um, um, Spielberg uh, directed Schindler's List and he's like he's like could you have swapped those two directors and I'm paraphrasing here you could have swapped those two directors and they would have been brilliant movies but each one of them had the cultural understanding of what they were directing so they had so much more uh, understanding of what any given scene might hold and um, so again yeah Denzel Washington oh my gosh I'm sure that guy would just like blow my mind um I just feel like I want Denzel to be my pastor. Like in life, <laughs> I've always felt like that. I was like, whatever Denzel's. I remember when, um, what was the what was the military movie that came out when we were like in eighth grade that he was in? Oh man. Was it a Civil War movie? Oh my gosh. Uh, that sounds right. The name just escapes me at the moment. Yeah. Right. I just like he's been on our radar for a long time. For a long time. Yeah. I yeah I think he's great. Um, no, those are, I mean, that, I think those are two that come right, or three that come right yeah. off the top of my mind. Yeah, and I don't think you have to, like, qualify whether you like these humans or not, or whether you, like, Elon Musk, I don't, you know, sure. whether you agree with them. I find that those are the greatest kinds of coffee dates or dinners that people you don't <laughs> necessarily agree with things on, and that you can hear somebody else's ideas about life and how they view things. I think it's really, I think it's really fascinating. And, and, that, and that's it. He's, he's really established yeah. himself as a, like a businessman that 
does things entirely different than the entire business community does up to this point. Yeah. And so, I, so it's just intriguing. Yeah. It's just, I've just, I'm filled with curiosity about that situation. Yeah. And we'll see how, how he wins with Twitter. I don't know. And he plays in any bets. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see how that plays out in the courts. I'm sure. Okay. So if you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be, Mike? I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty simple, you know, and you, you know, you and I have talked before about like, I've actually said, like, I just, I really want to be remembered for something. Right. Um, and I've never been able to establish, like, I'm not a really great inventor. I know I'm, I mean, I do pretty good mechanical work, but I'm not a mechanical designer. So I, I'm not going to make the cool thing that changes humanity. But I think if I can just be simply remembered as somebody who loved well and contributed to those around me, like if I can make some impact in people's lives around me, I think that's one of the best memories or the best legacies you can leave yeah. is just to know that, you, I mean, and it doesn't have to be big. Like I don't have to open the Mike Smith wellness center for all the ages, right? It's, it could just be like, no, I helped like five people and their lives were better. Like that would be to me, so redeeming and so valuable and so like I would just be grateful for that opportunity to be able to to to, be, to know that I impacted somebody's life yeah for sure yeah well thanks for going down memory lane with me Mike oh yeah <laughs> do you have any questions for me today so what how do you I, I guess I've been really curious how you like uh, you know, we, and we kind of talked about this a little, a little bit before, like when we talk about cancer, what is the, what is the thing in your mind? Cause again, we're, you know, we're taking you to radiation and, uh, we've got some updated news about this thyroid thing that we'll probably need surgery on. When you think about cancer in your mind and you think about it and you're fighting this process, what, like what kind of mental model do you use to, how do you think about cancer? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What do you envision when you think about it? What is it? Um, well, it's interesting with good old Chuck and Chad. Chuck and Chad. Um, obviously, I like to use a little humor as a way to, to wrap my mind around it. But when I think about it itself, like cancer in my body right now, cells in my body that are trying to kill me, that would overtake my body and kill me, essentially. Um, some people have said, like... You know, with breast cancer, my breasts tried to kill me, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, with my thyroid, my thyroid tried to kill me. And I don't see it that way. I feel like I have a lot of compassion for my body. And I have a lot, I, I see it as an intruder. Um, right. And as something that is not meant to be here in this world, cancer. Um, and that we're doing everything we can to eradicate that, you know, that cancer that's in my body. So for me, it's, I don't dwell on it. I don't, um, I'm forced to it. I'm forced to sometimes just because I have symptoms every day that force me into re remembering that I have cancer. But I try to hold on to the fact that I'm still myself and outside of that that idea of, you know, something trying to kill me. Sure. <laughs> but I, yeah, I feel like, um, you know, it's kind of, 
the problem with evil and the problem with darkness in our world, cancer's a cancer's part of that. Cancer's in that camp. And um, you know, God set this world out in perfection in the beginning. And sin entered in and darkness entered in. And I like to look at it like, I think about it as like really black tar that you can't get off and it's not supposed to be here. It just, it's, when there's a death, um, when there's struggle, when there's pain and difficulty, when there's cancer, it's like, that's not supposed to be here. And Jesus is in the business of redeeming us back to a place of wholeness and so when I think about cancer as a Christian I think about the fact that sure I can ask God and I have and people have on my behalf to heal my body completely of cancer to take out that black tar of cancer Um, and sometimes that happens for people and sometimes it doesn't and I because ultimately I know that the ultimate healing of myself from cancer um, will be when um, I die and I go to heaven. I know where I'm going to be and I'm going to have like a resurrected body, which I think about oftentimes. Well, you know, Jesus had scars and I'm like, ah, dadgum, am I going to have these scars when I get to heaven? Because I feel a little post-apocalyptic right now with all these scars. I'm already get another one with this thyroid right across my neck. So, um, but yeah, I think that's kind of how, like, it's a win-win for me. I think when I think about you're facing something life-threatening, um, because otherwise it's an anxiety riddled vortex that sucks you down, um, into a place where it's really hard to escape the fear of dying and the fear of what that would be. And I have been given great grace to be able to think about it in a way where it is not stealing my joy. Right. Okay. So that's, that's great. I'm glad you kind of went to that place because my next question is, is related to that fear that pops up. Cause you know, we've been counseled that, um, this at this time is not, it's not necessarily at this moment, life threatening. Um, and we've, we've been counseled by doctors that, you know, we've got, we've got good margins we've got the tumor. We're finishing off radiation. And even this thyroid thing is not going to be necessarily an impact, you know, a, a life threatening item. But have you had those moments where kind of that fear wells up of your own mortality? And um, I mean, I I think it's important that we talk about that and be transparent about um, the prospect of life ending uh, through this process and what it's like to battle through that. Yeah, I am. I mean, I have a different I have a different uh, definition of anguish now as I've felt pure anguish, terror, pain, fear, and, um, yeah, it's a completely different level of emotion than I felt before, and, um, the fear of what if can definitely drag you into a place where it's really hard, and it just becomes really dark, because there's nothing that can pull you out of that very well. 
you know, so out in me, like in, in myself, there's nothing. And so I have a choice though. Um, and so my choice that I actively try to think about is that I don't know what's going to happen in the future. No one knows what's going to happen in their future. And so I don't dwell on things in the future. Um, and it's an active choice not to do that. But it doesn't mean that I haven't had like moments of fear. It just doesn't, it just doesn't overtake me. Um, even though I have an enemy that sure as heck wants to pull me out of this world and keep me in that place where I'm locked down and um, I can't serve and love others if I'm locked down. So, and I can't serve and love myself if I'm locked down. So, I, yeah, I feel like there's just, right in the beginning, God, God's presence um, even the, the very first night we found out I had cancer and I had a weirdo of a cancer. Um, the pure anguish of that moment, I remember asking God, I'm like, you have got to put me to sleep tonight because I don't even know how I'm going to be able to sleep. It's not, it's not, my mind is rolling down the what ifs and the how could this be and like, it's incredulous to me. Like, how is this possible? And um, I think one of the most tender moments I've had in this journey came that very first night when I was reminded of the scripture that um, God sings over us. And Jesus was singing over me in a way that's singing over me a lullaby like a mother sings over her child and the mothering nature of our God, the nurturing mothering nature of our God took over and I fell asleep. <laughs> I fell asleep that first night and was able to sleep. And that has been the only thing that keeps me from fear is the mothering nature of our God um, over and over and over again. So, yeah. That's great. Yep. It's really tender. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like what you're given, you're able to give out. And so there's a very mothering, nurturing nature to myself. And I hope to be able to extend that to other cancer patients that I get to be around and other friends that I get to be around, especially those who are going through really dark days. Um, it's an honor to walk with people in their darkest days and and I have something to give sure. because I've been given something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, we're about ready to head into radiation. We're dropping down into Pendleton. Um, I had some hot spots last week and so they had to readjust my um my whole radiation plan. And so we're meeting with the doctor today to kind of get some more information about that and yeah. yeah yeah so we're gonna ask some questions about like what do hotspots mean in the short term what do they mean in the long term what does that actually even mean is it is that just like more radiation than you're so supposed to have received and and granted i mean all of this is within spec we've already been assured that um all of this is in 
within spec for uh, proper exposure to radiation and that sort of thing. But what are just the practical implications of hotspots? And how, you know, do we make any changes? Do we think about it differently? Do we have to make any decisions as far as that goes? So yeah. Yeah, and I just like that they're keeping an eagle eye out on me. You know what I'm saying? They're not just here's the plan. We're going to do this for the next 33 days. Like we might need to adjust the plan because your your skin and your whole your whole body changes with radiation it gets very swollen and like things change and so they they did tell us that in the in the past so i appreciate that they're you know they're being safe about it all so yeah we got lots of questions today so it'll be good Plus the fact that I, when they, the terms they use, I love the terms they use. I don't know if you remember when they said, we'll have to go back and uh, adjust the physics uh, behind your, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, physics. Yeah, I think I heard that <laughs> my radiology oncologist used to be an engineer, and I was like, well, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. So he and Mike can just speak physics, and I'll be like, okay, that no, sounds just, good. Well, I'll just let him talk, and I'll just listen and bask in the glory of his, <laughs> of his words. I don't know. I can't speak at that level. I mean, nuclear physics, oh, my goodness, that's beyond me. It's amazing. Yes. But it's definitely, I just picture that 10-year-old little Mike going, yeah, this is the cool stuff. <laughs> and, and kind of a little bit of squee. <laughs> <laughs> We just wanted to drop back in and tell everybody we met with a doctor and we learned some news about hotspots and about how radiation works. So we thought we'd share it. I just got done with that treatment. Everything went really quickly and smoothly. We went and got a snack. And, well, and I think that's I think that's one of the more important parts of this whole situation is that <laughs> like any good like any good visit to the doctor. <laughs> Well, you know, one can be rewarded with uh, ice cream is probably the most obvious answer. But in Candace's case, it's also onion rings, which I, I mean, yes, absolutely, every single day. Uh, and then my my particular treat for being the escort and driver and that sort of thing was a cherry dilly bar, which has been a long favorite of mine. Because he's truly an 80s boy. <laughs> <laughs> Dilly bar. Because I love, I love uh, ice cream coated in van- in cherry flavored wax. It's, I mean, it's one of those amazing. I love a butterscotch Dilly bar too. So I, I'm not, a, I'm not here to, you know. Lots of baseball games after that. <laughs> went to, went to Hurricane. But yeah, Mike, why don't you kind of share what the doctor had to say about hotspots? And you kind of geeked out a little bit because he's definitely physics and. Right. Fun times. So, um, I back in the day, um, I back in high school, and then I had I got to study some some physics, and uh, I also studied physics within college. And and one of the things that I love is hearing about the content behind all of these amazing things. So when uh, I was telling Candace earlier that when she when when I heard her or I'm sorry when I heard Dr. Cho say something about. Uh, we're, we're changing the physics of your uh, of your uh, prescription here, and I'm just like, oh, yes, let's hear about the physics and all that sort of thing. 
Um, <laughs> so I get excited and ask him to explain a little bit more about it. And really it, it, what it amounts to um, is, is just that overlapping exposure of the beam of radiation to create hot spots. Uh, and and he, what he explained that, you know, they're in the range of like 10 to 15 percent overlap. So it's not, you know, he's like, it's not concerning. It's not it's kind of a normal process of a, of a regimen that you would apply to any person uh, but because there are points where they where your exposures overlap uh, you'll end up and you just have to manage them and identify them and they show up in the CT scan so uh, they're very very manageable but it was it was definitely neat to know more of the technical behind why that happens what's actually going on and what we should expect so that was really nice and yeah I think that's what my takeaway was like hot spots are normal you're gonna have them every time and um, that, you know, he's consulting. There's three different um, radiation oncologists that are looking at my particular um, my particular scans. And so that was also, you know, felt good that there's more than one eyes. But they 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 all kind of consult. And he the way he described it is every person has their own kind of level of how many how much hot spots they allow. And so, um, yeah, they just decided, you know, the other two kind of convinced him to kind of reduce the amount of hot spots. And so that they worked in, worked a new plan. And, and so I should have that same plan for the rest of my, um, time in radiation. So yeah, it was cool and cool information. Um, it's good. Like we were talking about, like, it's really cool to listen to somebody talk about something that they are passionate and, well-versed in and just super knowledgeable in and, and let them kind of um, explain it um, because I'm not sure how many people ask him those kinds of questions really um, and maybe it's a generational thing I don't know but we we're, we're very curious about that kind of stuff well and I, I'm sure it's like I mean it's a highly specialized field and I mean who really understands when he starts to explain there, I mean, there's so much foundation that you have to understand before you can really dig into the content. But I, that's, but like you said, I love hearing the story behind it. Like, tell me all of it. I don't care if I understand it or not. Just tell me what you understand, what you've researched and learned up to this point to bring you to the point you are at. Yeah. And, um, I think it was neat. Um, I guess one of the things that I hope and, and Candace, you can speak to this if this is appropriate. Um, I, I hope in the process that we kind of maybe not, I don't want to normalize the radiation treatment, but I, I guess I was struck by, as Dr. Cho was telling us about the, um, how they used to do this, you know, like 30 plus years ago, they would trace a body outline, right? And, and then they would calculate by hand how to, how to do the radiation. Uh, and, and now it's all computerized and it's all very, um, you know, it's all very computer-based and calculated with uh, really complex algorithms and that sort of thing. But they used to hand draw this stuff yeah, previously, and it, what it reminded me of, and I don't know if you've thought about this, but um, it was the movie about C.S. Lewis's life and his wife, oh, yeah. right, has has cancer, and I, I think it's like on her hip or something like that. And I just remember the scene in that movie where she's receiving radiation treatment, and I remember how like scary it felt like it it felt like this big you know like this big unwieldy machine makes noise and you're scared of it and you don't know what's happening and I realize some of that is is um Trauma, like well well and it's also it's part of the context of the time period that, yeah. that it was part of but 
when in reality, I guess I want to, I would like to, for those who may be facing radiation in the future, I'd like to normalize what it, like this is a normal treatment like an x-ray or a CT scan or a whatever else. It's very, um, it's very much like that in how it actually interacts with your body and, and what your personal experience actually is. And so, uh, yeah, I, did, I, I think just having that mental model, if, you, if you're somebody who is facing a, a, a radiation treatment plan and don't know how that's going to go, I think it's, uh, it's good to maybe have that on the front end. And I, you know, I think as a, everybody's body, like you were saying, it will handle it differently. And the way that you are being treated is going to be differently um, because you might be taking meds that I'm not taking. But, but for me, the breast MRI was way more difficult than radiation has been period hands down because you're you're face down going into a tube and you can't move for an hour and it's really loud and it's not very fun at all so and you you're like it's so claustrophobic you can't lift your head up I mean it's just like it's that was the worst one I think is if I'm thinking about all of all the things I've gotten in the last year but um, because CT scan is not that big of a deal and um, yeah, it's just, it's hard. So, um, for, for people to kind of understand radiation, cause it's, it's very technical, I think, it but really it, I, I'm just encouraging to ask questions. Um, yeah. And, and let those, let those experts talk, even if you're not into the technical detail, let them talk about it because they've, they spent a lifetime and so much effort investing in knowing more about this. Um, let them talk about what they're passionate about and, and hear from them because it's, 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 even if you don't understand it, it's really interesting. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for listening in, friend. I really appreciate it. This is really fun for me. But I hope for you, there's some takeaways on just being a good neighbor just somebody who's willing to to jump in and say, yeah, I'll help you out. If you are a cancer survivor, or if you're currently going through cancer, please know that my heart is with you, that my prayers are with you, and that you are more connected than you realize, and you are more loved than you could ever understand. Please tune in next time. We will have a great time on the podcast, driving over the mountain where I get radiation and make the best of it. You know what I'm saying? Have a great day. Thank you.